Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. These sites are located across more than 400 million acres of public lands, including national parks, wildlife refuges, and forests. The lands host activities to fit any lifestyle, hiking, biking, fishing, camping, and much more. Gold Star families are also eligible for these free lifetime passes. Plus, they cover entrance fees for a driver and all passengers in a car, or up to three additional adults at sites that charge per person. Obtaining one is easy. Just go to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, or the National Park Service app. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museums will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024.
All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Spit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fitnation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to this great Thursday after dinner show. We have a good one tonight. Thank you, Adam Baum, for setting us free on About Face Radio tonight with Classic Rock Top. Uh, our next guest is a retired United States Air Force Command Chief Master Sergeant. Over 30 years of service to our country. He holds a bachelor's degree in registered nursing, specializing in emergency medicine, and a master's degree in disaster emergency management. He's a bronze star, combat decorated medic, and the recipient of the Legion of Merit, our nation's highest, sixth highest military decoration. He operated in Saudi Arabia, Somalia, South America, Iraq, Korea, Japan, and Hungary. He grew up in Northern, rural Northern California in a dairy farming family, left home at 19 to join the Air Force, and was ascended through ranks to culminate as the senior enlisted leader for all nuclear missile forces in the United States. He has vast experience leading small groups and large organizations, and has led city government activities and large organizations as an emergency manager for multiple countries through COVID and other disaster situations. He is the author of the international best-selling book, Giving Back, Life and Leadership, Armed and Combat Zone and Beyond. He is also the founder and owner of MaxFab Consulting, providing keynote leadership, organization growth, and strategic guidance, and is actively involved using his journey with PTSD to help transition veterans and other victims of trauma to transition in a healthy manner. He's an active mentor, speaks to young leaders to aid their development and future success. He continues to give back the gifts he has collected along the way. So without further ado, let's welcome U.S. Air Force veteran, author, and leadership consultant, Dave Nordell to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Dave. What's going on, man? That is way too long. We're gonna chop that one down. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You did it. You did a good job with that. And you know, it's good. It's great to be here, Rich. And, uh, the Misfit Nation 
you know, I thought about that a little bit today because I knew we were going to do this. And I thought, you know, there has to be, there's a little thought that goes into, into that. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to accentuate the name of your show today when we get to talking. So it's great to be here. Thank you. Definitely a, definitely a great naming convention. I also have a master's degree in disaster emergency management and received that a couple uh, of years ago. So we're, we have the same boat there. And I was a Seaburn guy, not new, just nuclear, but Seaburn. Love it. The Army. So you had some correlation right there. So it's pretty awesome. Chemi chemical soldiers. I love yes, them. Sir. Good, good stuff, brother. Good job. So, Dave, I did give a long brief on you there. If there's anything yeah. else you want to add to that and to how we got to where we are now, here's your chance to jump on and then we'll go some, no. some quick conversation. You know, the only thing that I'm going to change in that, actually, is and I just need to add two words, and it's PTSD and moral injury. And on brother, you know, we got, we, uh, I just, I just left a meeting with one of our local leaders and, uh, I was talking about this with him and I said, moral injury. And he stopped me and he said, I need two or three more sentences on that. And then I get that over and over and over again. So and I'm sure we'll get to that. It's uh it's a big deal actually for all of us. It definitely is. And, uh, uh, we see our brothers and sisters go through different paths and how to get through the, the obstacle course that is PTSD, moral injuries. And, of course, we also talked about substance abuse during uh, the show as well. The three right. pillars that really cause people to wind up, I guess, going towards the darkness that we speak about yeah. in our opening there. And the darkness is what takes a lot of our brethren away from us. And at a, an alarming rate, uh, yeah, it depends on who you ask, 22 to 44 people a day, really, depending on statistics. And it has to stop and it starts with us right here looking at each other and talking. Sure. Now the, I, I lean towards a 44 number because the veterans administration's admitted that they have underclassified, you know, the way, uh, the, you know, the, the method and mode that veterans tend to, to self-eliminate. So yeah, we got to quit that. Right. And, uh, and so, and so when we're transmitting like this, uh, it's helpful. And we're all at different stages of this. I like to use laundry. I hate laundry, man. There's nothing I, nothing I, there's, there's a couple things I despise in life and laundry's way up at the top of the list. But really, you know, it's a wash, rinse, spin, dry, fold cycle that we try to get to. And a lot of us get stuck in the spin cycle. And luckily, I think I've kicked out of the back end of that. I'm into the fold cycle. And this is where you can start to transmit. You know, it's not, I'm not perfect by any chance. And I hit the dark side too. And I still need help. Saw my therapist this morning. I think we all need one. They're they're great. They're great to have in your life, but uh, you know the long the long and the short of it is is that no matter where we're at in the journey, we're still battle buddies, right? And that is that is the number one deal. You know, shipmates and battle buddies. And as long as we're uh, as long as we're doing our part in that role, even when we're out of uniform, I think we can start turning the worm on this thing. So. Definitely in the. And remembering who you who you served with and and those who you you meet now i mean we, yeah. we people we meet now we may not have served with them but they did serve and they also need us to look them in the eyes and say hey look i'm here for you and you should be here for me too if you see me going down some weird path punch me in the face and let me come back do something to make me come back and reset that button make me all make us all be good right and it's how we react to the to the help you know when somebody asks for it and those type of things we got to be there we got to rally it's got to be okay um, there can't be any shame in that. You know, we need to get rid of all those stigmas so that we can keep, so that we can keep getting help. And yeah, I had uh, I had lunch today with a, a great veteran that he's a Purple Heart recipient, and we started just kind of talking about us. You know, him and I. This total therapy, man. This total therapy. And so you know, community matters to us. Team matters to us. Uh, you know, our what we identify with matters to us. And 
and we're stamped forever. You know, we're institutionalized. We, we have been in the institution if it was for four years or for 40 years. And, you know, we're just, we're just brothers and sisters and the bond is automatic. So we just need to leverage that to, to get us out of a ditch. Cause uh, these are, these are things that will own forever and you can't travel. You can't navigate them by yourself. You know, we, we tend to use the, you know, as I say all the time, the three our three preferred counselors with PTSD, moral injury are Jim, Johnny and Jack. Yeah. And, and, and we got it. And, and we got, we, we might we might be able to appreciate them for whatever they bring to the game, but we need to break up with them and, and put them in the uh, they I was once friends with them list and move on and find new friends and new counselors. Tito's in there too. He get he jumps in for people as well. Right. Hey man, every everybody's got yes, everybody's yeah. got their counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was stationed on Air Force Base in Korea, uh Kunsan. Uh, oh boy. So I got back. to see yeah, I got to see a lot of uh, all them guys while I was on Kunsan. Yeah, sure. At all the clubs there, and uh, I still talk to a lot of guys. I actually talked to one of my battle buddies from there yesterday, and we're, we're going to link up for his 50th birthday coming up in November. Yeah, we talked about something we did there, and we filled a garbage can in my room, a 55 gallon garbage can with bottle caps, sure. not bottles, bottle caps. Yeah, sure. Bud Ice and uh, Ice House, I think, were the two beers of choice back then. And, sure. And. That was our that was our thing, and he used, he used to ask me why are we doing this. I said we're going to give it to orphans, and I forgot I said that to him. We're going to melt them down and help orphans get needles they need. And he told me that yesterday. So why well, I don't remember saying that to you, man. So I knew I was out of my mind back then. <laughs> Kunsan was like taking. I was never stationed in Korea, but I I was deployed or or on the island doing inspections and that so much. I probably qualify for every ribbon that they offer for being on Korea. <laughs> And, and so if you think about never having been stationed there and never having had Kunsan as an assignment, even though I was on the base four times, it is still receive the follow on forces, defend the base, take the fight north, right. Wolfpack, right? Oh, yeah. It's an amazing place, man. There's no place on the planet that and the best barbershop in the whole Department of Defense is on Kunsan. Best defect, too. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So. But there's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot of people that went to Kunsan and they chose to deal with that isolation and that remoteness in some really unhealthy ways, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so not any indifferent than when we transition. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, it's I admire people that can, that can pick up one beer and have one beer. You know, they got three beers in their fridge and it's been there for a week. I'm not that guy. So I quit. You know, I just, I had to, it had to be, it had to be moved along and, you know, we're talking about that, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I want to, I want to use some of this time, Rich, to really get into, we were talking about this, you know, I really want to use some of this time to get into the moral injury piece because I think we've got brothers and sisters out there. Um, I'll give you an example. I spoke at Weber state and the crowd was small, but it was the right people. And so there's veterans in there that are going to college. There's the guy that's, that, that runs the, the, the veteran center for Weber State. Great, great guy, Air Force guy, great guy. And I'm doing this talk and we're talking about moral injury. And the guy gets up and you'll, this will resonate with you because he was a second ID guy in Korea. And he never got out of the second ID. And this guy was in a bigger ditch. He was in one of the deepest, darkest places that I'd ever seen. And the only reason was was because he never got into the AR. He never had, so he didn't have his CIB. 
and and all that goes along with that because he was doing the he was doing the deed in in Korea, and he's in tears in the back of the room, and he's injured. You know, he's injured. You know, he just he, he's just emotionally he's injured over this, and and so this this morally you can get morally injured in and you know well. The only army post that I ever heard people say that they were glad that they were deployed and not back in home station was Fort Drum. And I was around the 10th Army, 10th Mountain guys all the time, right? And so and so I'd say, oh, man, you've been over here for a while. And they'd say, yeah, we'll stay forever as long as you don't have to go back to Fort Drum. So so there's there's a thing to that. But you can be morally injured in Fort Drum or, or you know, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base or, or you know, name your, name your Navy installation. You can be morally injured there only because of we're all programmed with our morals and our standards and our ethics when we when we walk into the into the military and it runs into orders and doctrine and all the things that we're susceptible to and you have to carry those out right down to taking somebody's life right uh, and it doesn't require trigger time you know my moral you know in the interest of time I'll, I'll cut it down it's in my second book second book publishes in uh, in uh, two days actually and. It's called when uh, when the cows lie down, and it's about missing the subtleties in life that are warning signs and those type of things, and about quitting and why people quit organizations. And there's 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 a lot in there, but uh, my moral injury story is in there. One of my moral injuries, probably the most the largest moral injury story, and it really is a time when in 08 during the surge, uh, you know the bad guys in Sadr City were acting up, and we were going to build a we were going to we we're we're building an action plan to go in there and clean it up, not any indifferent than Ramadi or Fallujah. And, you know, that generates a lot of casualties and we need to be prepared to do that. And that requires you to clear the beds, right? Make the hospital look like it's the first day of being a hospital. The problem was we had 12 Iraqis in there that we'd been taking care of for months. We knew all their families. We brought them all on base. We knew them, you know, we knew everything about them because that's what we do. And we were taking care of the, the casualties of war, the, the collateral damage, the civilians. We even took care of the enemy. And so, uh, we've got these 12 people and to clear the beds, we had to move them and to move them meant sending them to Baghdad and sending them to Baghdad meant that they couldn't take care of them because of the intensive care that we were giving them. They couldn't give them. So the choice was if we moved them, we killed them. We euthanized 12 people, 12 human beings that we knew intimately with their families. And, and uh, brother, we moved them, we killed them and we never did the operation. There's no kinetics in that, is there? No. And that is that, that, right. And that, and that, and, and in there, right, is military doctrine, because that's medical military doctrine for wartime fighting. And there's an operations order that says do it. Yeah. And you have to execute it. And you're doing it in a building full of people that, at some level, based on what their professional licensure is, have taken an oath never to do something like that. Yeah. Exactly. And so this, this is what that thing is. And I, you know, I relay that story out loud to the audience. There's gotta be, there's, there's men and women out there that are listening to the show right now and their heads nodding and they're thinking of a story and it has nothing to do with the hospital. It has nothing to do with clearing beds and it has nothing to do with, with through the operations order, euthanizing 12 civilians that you were caring for. Right. But their story is just as impactful and they carry it with them. And it's just as heavy as, as anything that you can't unhear, unsee, and unsmell that is the PTSD portion of this, which I'm the proud owner of that because of the kids and the stuff that we, you know, that we dealt with in that time frame. So 
So we have to have some grace, but we got to have some understanding too. I, I, I think, you know, we all have an opinion on the Veterans Administration and some of that's just based on our geography and, and which which veterans, you know, area is serving us. Right. So it's it's it, there's not a lot of consistency there. But I will tell you, um, the VA didn't want to get their head wrapped around the amount of veteran suicide on a daily basis that there is. I think that, you know, they just they wanted to kind of make that you know suicide light. And they do not want people giving a definition of moral injury and actually drawing that back to um, permanent psychological um, change that requires maintenance, right? That requires us to work on it all the time. And so my choice is to talk about it because we all need to be given the grace to have the space to, to, to talk about it. Definitely. And uh, I think everyone, like you said, not everyone's going to have the be a hospital per se. It could be, like for me, my best friend asked me, where, where should I re-enlist to go? We were at Fort Riley, Kansas. I said, go to Fort Campbell. It's the best place on earth. Go to Fort Campbell, best base in the Army. He came here, did two deployments. First deployment, he got blown up, broke his hand, went right back in the surge in 07 and was killed. And I was stationed at a Cush assignment in Addison, Alabama at the time. And I got the call saying he was gone. And I said, what did I do to, what am I doing today that would have been able to fight? I'm, I'm pushing paper. All I'm doing is pushing paper on my best friend's gone now. And he was in the fight and I'm pushing paper. So that, that rested with me for a while. And then with the Misfit Nation, uh, Misfit Nation started in 2010 in Afghanistan. I was given a platoon of the island of Misfit Toys, basically. Everyone's everyone's offshoots. <laughs> I and I was the replacement NCO that came in from Korea. Again, it's my third time in Korea, coming back to Korea. And on December 31st, we lost my Sergeant Michael Beckerman. He was a long down engineer battalion. Stat him and a lieutenant were clearing the room, and one of them triggered an explosive, and he was killed. And the Misfit Nation, the bond grew right there, and the Misfit Nation actually grew from that point forward. So it, the name has been around for a while. The show has been around for about three years now. Now, I appreciate the story. When, you know, when uh, when you start drawing lines as to whether or not you're in the in the chain of action, right? What we call the kill chain. And, and did you, you know, did you do everything? I always try to tell people the outcome you can't change. But if you were, this is why we have creed and this is why we have values and these things that we three-dimensionalize as soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, coast guard, guardians. Now, you know, this is why we, this is why we three-dimensionalize those. And when we get out, this, this phenomenon when we transition after being in the institution, this is why we struggle in the civilian world because most civilian organizations have these credos and things on the wall, but their actions don't support them. Right. And we, we bond over these credos. And I think if you're living by, you know, the Air Force core values are, are integrity first, service before self and excellence in all you do. If you're really doing that, it doesn't matter what the outcome is, even if it's negative, because that's all that's a that's a potential consequence or outcome of anything that we do. Training, getting up in the morning, getting in the home V, whatever it is, that's a potentiality. Even 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 when you're working, you know, you know, schoolhouse stuff in Aniston for chemical soldiers, you guys are in an environment where you can get hurt. You can have a poor outcome. But if you're staying true to yourself and those core things. You got to forgive yourself, man. If you're doing it right, you, you don't have control over that that end piece. 
But here again, that's that's a conversation we have to have because we take stuff stuff so personal because failure is just not an option, right? Exactly. Where did you go to basic training? Uh, Fort McClellan, Alabama. Right. And and from the minute you walked on that on that place, failure wasn't an option. Nope. That I paid two dollars for my first haircut. There was no no option to fail. Right. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. There's yeah, there's no option to fail. So so think about that and then think about moral injury, because, you know, these things get put into motion and they just run over the top of who we are, foundationally, who we are, not just as soldiers, but as people, as human beings. And so how do we deal with that and and how do we how do we work through that? Well, you got to forgive yourself, first of all. Right. You got to You got to. You got to understand what, what all that was. You got to forgive yourself. Then you got to get help. You got to get help. You know, I'm working on veteran transition. I'm working on a vet ready program and we're in the throes of really getting it going. I've got some people that are signed up to do it and I'm really excited about it. I've got some support from our local chamber of commerce and I want to, I hope to pollinate this thing everywhere. But we have never, ever trained civilians on how to take in us. And vet ready is focused on that. We do. We keep making. We keep making the guys and gals carry their rucksack another twenty five yards, and it's driving me crazy. When do we get? When do we get to put our ruck down, right? And somebody else picks it up and says, "You know, I got this. The last twenty five yards." And what I mean is, is we get veterans. We transition them poorly. The DOD is not interested in how we do when we get out until it's their turn, right? Yep. They're not interested in how we get out. So it's, it's sloppy on that end. And they got skill bridge and some other things that you know might get you out there to do those type of things. But when they cut you loose and they say, we've got a hundred percent placement rate for veterans and jobs. Well, the statistics now 43 of a hundred quit their job in the first year. Exactly. And I would say the majority of those 43 end up with John, Jimmy and Jack. And they start to slip, they, they start to, they start to slippery slope. And it's, and, it, and I forgive every civilian employer out there that has lost veterans because they haven't built a, a community for them. They don't, they don't uh, fully understand their capabilities. They can't give them a sense of purpose. They can't build camaraderie. They can't build this, this uh, social capital, this social environment for veterans to thrive. We certainly can do it for prisoners when we let them out of jail. We give them free release and we do all of that stuff. And we certainly can do it for the person that's, that's in a wheelchair and deaf in the right ear. We know how to shape our workspace to make room for them. We don't do it for veterans because, you know, and if you look at it, the diversity, equity and inclusion world, right? And you throw veterans in there, we fall under the eye to be included. But I, I, I somebody asked me today, where do veterans fall in the inclusive piece of, of this, you know, that this DEI world? And I said, invisible. Invisible, yeah. <laughs> I said, because, and they said, well, you mean because, because you can't pick a veteran out of a crowd? And I said, no. I said, because half of the issues that we have are invisible. And you guys are invisible to are what we need are invisible to the employers. The vet ready program is to go in with employers that truly want to do something after thank you for yourself to learn enough so that they can build these environments so that we can reassimilate and reattach to something that gives a sense of purpose and camaraderie and gives us space to interact with our fellow veterans in our work in our workforce in a in a manner that's that's healing, that's supportive. And let's just do the critical thinking and the, and the stuff that we're good at. And I think that, you know, you, you take one third of somebody's life, which is work, and you build a supportive, 
foundational environment where the employer actually understands that they're part of your healing process and your health, your overall health, physical, mental, emotional, you do that, all these problems start to get better. Definitely. They definitely do. And uh, you hit a lot of things on the head there. Community, sense of purpose, camaraderie. Uh, when I got out, I took a whole year off completely to do just wait, find me and try to find a job in that time. And many of the employers would look at my rank and not the rank I held and say, oh, we can't afford you. Never asked me what I wanted. We right. can't afford to hire you. But you never asked me what I wanted. I just wanted to get out of the house. My wife wanted me out of the house. So finally, after 365 days, I got a job with a veteran nonprofit. And knowing that statistic of every so many veterans leaving after one year, I stayed there two years because I'm a hardhead. And I didn't want to be a part of that statistic. After two years, my former first sergeant, he offered me a position, uh, what I'm doing now, training soldiers. Yeah. It was a, the lights came on. Uh, I went and found that happiness. Right. Right. Would you have quit after a year? Uh, probably if I didn't have a hard head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's tough. And, 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 you know, there is some education that veterans need, you know, civilians aren't savages. They just look like savages. <laughs> and they're, they're, you know, they don't, they don't show up on time and all those things that we hate, but it's really who they are. I mean, they, they crunch their schedules together. And, you know, if you've got to walk five minutes from one place to the other, you're going to be five minutes late because they schedule from three to four and four to five. They don't build in the extra time. Gaps, yep. And, and so we do, right? We, we say, I got to be there 15 minutes early. So you're pulling out for a, for a four o'clock appointment at, you know, at, you know, at 1600 appointment, you're pulling out at 1515. <laughs> Cause you got to be there at 1545, right? Exactly. Be there and early or late. Right. Well, I mean, even even for this show, I logged on early and started messing with things to make sure something wasn't goofed up and make sure I was here when you got here and those kind of things. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a real it's absolutely a real thing. So, yeah, this, this thing you brought up also, we are so used to here's a task and we complete it. Yes. Get out and go into the civilian world. Here's a task. You got X amount of hours to do it. So this task is supposed to take 80 hours to do. So I have two weeks to do this simple task. And we'll go out and finish it right away. And it look like the person is trying to overachieve or whatever and cause a little animosity because uh, we don't understand well, the 80 hour thing. You, here's the Dave, here's the cheap Dave Nordell version of that. We go into an organization. We do exactly what you described. We think we're an asset. They think we're an ass. Right. 100%. And it's total, yeah. And it's terrible. And you're like, you're like what I do. I'm, I, yeah. I am making you better. Don't you understand? Making you more you know, efficient. And the other thing is, is that we're so in tune with working in a Napoleonic structure that we don't, we don't, there, it's really, really counterintuitive to our behaviors to work in a bureaucratic structure where you go, oh, okay, I see what needs to be done. I'm going to go do it. And they go, no, you got to fill out a form. It's got to go to this person and needs to come back. And by the way, give me four, five slides on a PowerPoint. And in a month, we're going to brief somebody. You're done. <laughs> yeah, you're done, right? You're done. You're like, no way, I'm not going to do this, right? I can't do this. It's too frustrating. So we need to help. We need to help. Definitely. And both sides. Uh, and I, like you also said, the TOD, it's basically a check the block thing to get us out. Oh. Check the block. You know, we, we taught them how to do a resume. We taught them how to dress, how to tie a tie if they didn't know that. And, yeah. and get them out there. Maybe we taught them how to do an interview. But as soon as they walk out the door, goodbye. And they don't care. Here's what the DOD won't do, um, Rich. Here's what the DOD won't do. They won't, they won't have guys like you and I fly to DC 
and stand in the chief's office with all of his staff, all the three stars and, the, and you know, the four stars to stand in the office and, and do a testimonial about, let me tell you about my nine year. I've been out nine years and I want to tell you about this journey. Right. And I want to tell you about, I want to tell you about when I had a gun in my hand and I was this close to ending it and why. And, and, and tell them, and some of you in the room are going to end up in the same place. And you don't care. They don't exactly. care. And some of the some of these airmen that you love so much that you're advocating for and you want money for and you want to make sure they've got all this off time stuff and you want to make sure, you know, we take care of families and we do all of those things. 30 minutes after they walk out the front gate, they're living in the back of their car and you don't care. Exactly. So ties are cut. Yeah. And that's not to bash on 30 years. Did I have did I have I, I if I had to do it all over again, the only thing that I would want is to know what I know. Right. I I was the most ridiculous. I was the most ridiculous sounding senior E9. You know, I'm working in the army. You know, it's a battalion, battalion command sergeant major. I'm working at that level. And guys would come up to me, guys and gals would come up to me. You know, chief, I'm getting out. I've been in four years, been in six years, been in eight years. I'm getting out. What kind of advice do you have? And I'd said, learn how to tie a tie, sit up straight, civilianize your resume. You know, don't let them take advantage of you. Get what you're worth. You know, have a good time. Hit them on the back. Thought I was giving them great advice. If I would have known then what I know now, I would have said one thing that you did is really smart. I would have said, take off all the time that you have, number one. Number two is I think that anybody that serves in the United States military in any capacity should should have sessions up to five with a with a mental health provider when you get out. And I, I don't I, you know, you, you know, you're you don't have to have a ranger tab to need mental health. Right. And so, and so you need to go have those conversations and, and in there needs to be a conversation about what you fear and, and, you know, what you're, cause what you're leaving, you know, and it's a, you know, it's a big comfy blanket in some ways. Yeah. And you need to have a relationship. And then the third thing is, is you have got to do not take a job until you have interviewed your employer to the level where you feel satisfied that that employer is veteran ready, which I'm, because I'm doing this, I'm saying that not very many are. But you need to find employers that actually get it, that actually understand things. And you need to learn how to ask those questions. And I have that variety of questions that, you know, we should be asking. You know, you, you know tell me about your core values and how you demonstrate them. Can you imagine if, a, if you sat as a soldier and said to your few, a potential employer, tell me your core values. First of all, if they can't tell you all of them, because sometimes they have 17 of them, they can't even name them. So tell me your core values and tell me how you demonstrate each of them on a daily basis or, or within your company. Right. If they can't do that with a smile on their face and their chest puffed out, have a nice day. You need and to move on. And understand what each value is, even like if they have the 17 or seven pages of them. Right. Values on Tuesdays are these, but no, you have to know what each one is and why they are there and, yeah. and why you subscribe to them, why you decided these are the pages of pay of work you what yeah. your HR department has in there. You have to you have to embrace it and love it. Exactly. Exactly. So so do your due diligence. Take your time. Find your space and your place. And some people like you, you've kind of bounced back about as close as you can get to going back. Right. And so and so, and that's good for you. It's probably good for you. Your, your wife is probably really happy you have the job that you have. Yes, she and, is. And, and that's good that some people can get there. Not, not everybody, you know, can get to that same thing. 
If you're a prisoner, after you have all these cool prisoner things that they do for you that they don't do for veterans, if you're a prisoner, all you got to do is go rob a bank. You get to go back. Go back, yeah. Well, and some of them, some of them do. They can't reassimilate, right. even with help. So, so it's a phenomenon that we know exists, and we need to we need to continually address it through these through these kind of mediums, through through programmatics, and working through public private partnership. It's how we've solved every hard problem in this country. And I would say that the veteran space is a hard problem. I'll give you some numbers. You know, I'm in Montana. I'm in, that's I didn't add that. I'm in Billings, Montana. And Montana is number one in veteran population per capita. It's back and forth between Alaska and Montana. Number one in veteran population. So 12% of Montana is veterans. Wow. We're number one and number two per capita in veteran suicide and, and substance abuse, DUIs, mental health, number one and number two. We're number 44 in services. To handle that wow <laughs> we're a voting block up here if we ever all got together and got pissed about one thing we'd have every politician at our front steps asking us what they needed to do to get our vote because we can up here billings is the largest city in montana it's a hundred and ten thousand people wow. there's more there's more veterans in montana than there is in the largest city good lord <laughs> Yeah, there's nobody up. You know, it's 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 you know it's a it's a sparsely populated state, but there's a lot of veterans up here, and it's and it's real. I, you know, I'm giving you I'm giving you recent anecdotes and stories, but the VA called me the other day and she said I have to reschedule your appointment because your provider left. I said okay, so I've been in this VA area for with this clinic for five years. I'm on my third provider, and she goes, "You're going to see you know." so-and-so that's a nurse practitioner and i said okay and she said it's a virtual appointment and i said and i said why is it virtual i'm in billings i'm in billings she goes yeah but but she does virtual appointments i said i'm not taking a virtual appointment away from somebody that's in circle montana that needs it right why are you you know and so it's just through education and, and you know what the lady that called me was very nice very professional and and I and I actually see her. I know her, you know, her physical being. But nobody's talked to her. She would have worked through that problem differently had they talked to her. So I think that there's enough of us out here that we can start educating folks that can actually do what comes after, you know, thank you for your service, which Lieutenant Colonel retired Kathy Gallowitz down in Arizona. Her book is all about that. What comes after thank you for your service? And this is some of it. So, yeah. I was going to tell you, I'd like to link you up with her. So I had her on the show earlier. So. Yeah, we're, we're, we're already, we are brothers and sister from another mother. And um, um, I'm actually hooking up with another guy in a couple of weeks that's doing a thing called pre-vet, which is trying to get veterans just before they come out to get them to get a little bit of this education. So there's some synergies there and, you know, it's getting, it's a groundswell and, and we're going to need some support from, from Capitol Hill. And we're yep. working on that. We're working on that piece too. So, yeah. Outstanding. So you the small world there. I think she was on the show in this, in January. So this yeah. Times. <laughs> yeah. It's good. And her and I, her and I have almost daily now are in contact with some sort of thing. She's, she's moving and shaking too. So it's, yeah. It's good. And it's all for the right reasons. Definitely. 100%. The right reasons. There's people out there that want to help. They just don't know how. So we're going to teach them. And like you said, once you get the the knowledge up to the hill, that's when it'll start hopefully tantalizing out. We got it. We got it. I won't drop any names on people that are wanting to get involved in this kind of space. But 
Uh, some of them are prior service that have run for office and been elected. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's gonna, it's a powerful bunch. And, you know, veterans like it or not, we have a loud voice. Yes. And I, what I tell, what I tell people is two things. Every veteran is different. We're like snowflakes. Our, our experience, even though when you look at a snowstorm, you just think it's snowing, but every snowflakes, it's an individual. So we're like snowflakes and, um, not all veterans are created equal. And that goes down to your morality because you still bring your baggage and your luggage and everything from home, whatever that is. And that, that follows you all the way through. And even when you come back out, that's there. So yeah, we are still human beings. We're all still, we all still have our own wiring, but together, all of that, we put all of that stuff in the closet, man. And we rally around the flag. So why would you not want those kind of people on your team? And why would you not want us healthy and contributing back into society, teaching and all kinds of things, that, you know, that, that make uh, that make the humanity better, you know, generation after generation. Exactly. And let us know here at the Misfit Nation how we can help you get this thing going. If you need someone to go through the hill, I go out there every June anyway to speak to them for veteran issues. I'll go through there too. Let's let's talk. Definitely. We'll we'll just we'll just talk offline. I'll send you a note and we'll figure out time to to talk and and we can. You said every June you go up there. Yes, I do. Okay, well that's good. And you know our senator here in Montana, Senator Tester, he's the chairman of the veterans um, the veterans committee in the Senate. So uh, we've got some we've got some advocacy up here and the ability to to work those things. Yeah. That's where, the, that's where the pressure needs to be. Well, when people in wheelchairs couldn't get into their offices, you know, it all went to Capitol Hill, and then we have a American Disabilities Act. ADA. Imagine that. Yes. <laughs> Imagine if it was mandatory for an employer to have veteran-ready organizations. Imagine it. And not just get the incentives to interview. Exactly. Yes. Right. Or or to cherry pick you because you're 100 percent disabled in that six, nine thousand dollar tax break. Exactly. That was the eye I was thinking of before income tax and investing. And <laughs> I got it. Well, I just added that to my rhetoric now. That's that. That is in my that is in my rhetorical, my rhetorical uh, uh, spiel on DEI. Right. Inclusive, invisible and income driven yep. income taxes. Income taxes. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Dave, well, this is this has been yeah, great chatting with you. Yeah, you bet. Uh, where can people pick up your your new book, your first book, and your sure, new book? sure. Just go to the just go to the website, maxfabconsulting.com, M-A-X-F-A-B consulting.com. Uh, I see you're running it on the bottom there. Go there. Everything's on there. You can read a little bit more about me and some of the things we offer. We've started. Uh, we locally are uh, teamed up with uh, three really powerful female leaders that are non non veterans. Uh, to start the Apex Leadership Institute. We're doing our first big conference in a week. Uh, that's all on there. The books are on there. The blogs are on there. I blog about moral injury uh, and, you know, some of the, some of the challenges that we have. And, um, and then there's a, there's my podcast that we just started, which is the kangaroo leadership podcast. And that's because that's because kangaroos only can move forward. And so, and so I, and so I want, I want people in my life and I want leaders in my world that are moving forward and they've got the skills and ability to adapt and, and be agile. And so it's awesome. Outstanding. And before I let you go, what three tips would you give that, that soon to be veteran to do before they hang up them boots for the last time? 
Well, they need to they need to rally or they need to build a life team. They really need to rally around their life team and 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 build that out and re, and reconnect with people that are on the other side that maybe that the military has taken away from them. So they really got to have they got to have a life team and that, that that may start with your pastor and it may just start with your wife, but you need to have a life team. Uh, do not be afraid to uh, to go see to to start a relationship with uh, with a mental health counselor or whatever they are, if they're a social worker or they're a psychiatrist, um, to do that and to sit down and kind of just talk about your experiences and let them tease some things out and maybe pull some stuff up to the top that's not all messy and yucky and driving us into into bad places. Um, you know, get it get in front of that because it's going to be a real thing. And then give yourself some grace and some time and do your homework. I, I love the fact that you took a year off. I think it probably helped you out. Uh, you know, take off all the time that you can take off, really sit down and be selfish. It, you know, it's, it's, we, we were terrible about that and we need to be selfish to the point where we can, we can be, uh, we can square ourselves away because all the good that we want to do is almost impossible to deliver the right way unless we're taking care of ourselves. So be a little bit selfish. Outstanding. Again, Dave, thanks for coming on. And I look forward to working with you in the future. You bet. We're in it. We're in it to win it, buddy. It's all, it's all it's all good. Outstanding. All right. All right. I like chemical soldiers. So all right. you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all in. That's a good thing. Outstanding. All right, brother. You have a good one. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com it's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear as always, be humble stay hungry and keep hustling because we are 